All right, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, or your phone, whatever works for you, turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. I do want to thank Tony and uh, the team for leading us this morning. Uh, many of you know that uh, many are out because Beach House is getting ready to start up today. Uh, they'll be, uh, dis- we're, kind of, we're kind of displaced for about the next couple weeks. And so this week, the middle school's going, next week, the high school will go. And uh, I hope you'll make it a matter of prayer, praying for those groups that are going down. Well, today we're con- uh, continuing the series, Ripe. And of course, the whole idea, the reason we've entitled it Ripe is because it's the whole idea of growing to maturity. That's what we're looking at. Certain things in our lives that grow us to maturity. It's uh, also the idea of maturing. And we find in Galatians chapter 5, there's talk of fruit there. And we find that those are the things that need to be ripened in us. So Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Last week we looked at long-suffering. Today we're going to look at kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now when it comes to kindness, even the world has picked up on this whole idea of kindness. Uh, Now, um, when it comes to that, there's actually a website. I found it actually this weekend. It's uh, It's called Random Acts of Kindness website. Their motto is inspiring a culture of kindness in schools, in homes, and in communities. And on the website, they actually have ideas of how you can give random acts of kindness. It's a very interesting website, and uh, they kind of give you ideas on how you can display kindness. Uh, I even found it interesting that they even have a part of the website is designated to showing you kindness trips that you can take. I guess the same way we would do mission trips, I guess. But it's full of information that can actually, I believe, can be a help. There are even random acts of kindness days. How many of you are aware of that, that there's actually days dedicated? A couple of you do, but uh, worldwide, that day is November 13th, and here in the U.S., uh, it's February 17th is where it falls. So it's very interesting how this whole idea of kindness, even the world's picked up on that whole idea. Now, John Wesley, who was an early church father, had this poem, which was his rule for life. And here's what he says. This is how he conducted his life. Do all the kindness you can by all the means that you can in all the ways that you can in all the places that you can at all the times that you can to all the people that you can as long as you can. Now, how many of you would think it would be pretty refreshing to hang out with someone who every day, that's that's what they're trying to, to do is to be kind in these ways. I mean, that would be pretty refreshing to hang out with that. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about this whole idea of kindness. So look at the introduction. The Old Testament word for kindness literally means to bow one's head, to bow one's head. Uh, Treating, and basically it's a whole idea of treating another courteously and appropriately. The New Testament word for kindness refers to goodness of heart. Now, from these definitions, we find that kindness deals with both matters of the head and also the heart. Back on your outline, kindness is being aware of how another person feels, then considering those feelings and adapting our attitude, words, and behaviors accordingly. So here's the question. So why do we not find more kindness in our surroundings or in our environment? Why is it that everywhere we go, we we tend many times not to find it? Well, let me tell you this about kindness. Kindness takes time. Are you aware of that? 
You have to literally, when it comes to, to showing kindness, to demonstrate kindness, you can't be real busy. You can't be in your own busy world going, doing your own little thing, going all over the place, because that doesn't give time for time, kindness to actually take place. And so I want to ask you a question. When people think of you, do they think of kindness? So look on your outline. The first thing we see there is experiencing kindness. I believe for many of us, for us to purely or to totally understand what kindness is, we need to experience it. Now, do you realize that God himself is kind to people? Whether they are saints or sinners, whether they deserve his kindness or not, God is kind. And do you know why God is kind? Because it's in his nature to be kind. It's part of who he is. So look on your outline. God demonstrated his kindness by sending his son. By sending a son. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, you have one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. It says in verse 6, for when we were still without strength, that means we were weak to the point we couldn't do anything about our condition, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I know we don't like to think of ourselves this way, but before we came to Christ, before we received him, the Bible called us ungodly. It goes on and says in verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When it says that while we were still sinners, it may have well have said while we were still an offense to God, Christ reached out to us. It goes on and says in verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood and shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So think of this, y'all. It was when you, when you think about it, it was God's love that reached out to us. It wasn't only his love, it was his kindness that reached out to us. His love for us is directed by his kindness towards us. Next, God demonstrated his kindness by saving a sinner. By saving a sinner, specifically us. If you know him, he saved you. God showed his kindness to us and while we were sinners. In fact, listen, it is not the wrath of God that draws man to his kindness. It's not his wrath. A lot of people think, well, if you just show the threat of God's wrath, then people will be drawn to him. The Bible literally says it's his kindness in which brings about repentance in a person's life. And we see that through scripture. What breaks our hard, rebellious heart? It's God's kindness. In Titus chapter three, look here on the screen, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, that means when it was demonstrated, when it was evident to us, not by works of righteousness, it's not something we did, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, when you look at this passage, where did it all begin? Where did it, all, did it all begin? It began when the kindness of God and his love was extended to us. That's what brought about the change in our life. The fact that we are saved is God demonstrating his loving kindness to us. Thirdly, God demonstrated his kindness by securing a saint, by securing us. Have you experienced the kindness of God in salvation? Now, I want you to think of this. What does salvation really give us? What does it entail? 
Well, it entails the fact that God extended his mercy. He extended his grace. We know he extended his love and kindness. But he also extended his forgiveness to us, which is a big deal. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see something there concerning his kindness. Now, do you realize that when you become a child of God, that you experience the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated by God? So when you go to Galatians chapter 5 and you read these nine spirit fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering like we saw last week, or patience, today we're looking at kindness and then goodness and all those other. Here's what you need to understand. God displayed them towards us and now he wants them to be demonstrated through us. But he did that by securing us with those things that he brought into our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. So look at Ephesians chapter 2. It tells us more about it. In verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Here it is. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, the, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Here it is. In his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now here's what we need to understand based on what verses 8 and 9. It's nothing that we did that made, our, that made ourselves more attractive before God. The Bible says we were ungodly, we we're enemy of God, we were hopeless, there was nothing we could do about our situation, and he reached out to us. Verses eight and nine says it again. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's none of us walking around saying, hey, I was worthy for God to demonstrate his kindness towards me. None of us have the ability to say that because it's not true. It's true based on the fact that God reached out to us when we couldn't do anything. There was nothing appealing about us, but he still reached out to us through his kindness. And then verse 10, this is pretty cool. For we are his workmanship. Some translations literally say we are his masterpiece. Did you know that he's doing a work in your life? He saved you by his grace. He reached out with his mercy. He extended forgiveness to us. He extended his tender, loving care, his kindness. All these things were extended to us and now we've become his workmanship. There's something that he's doing in and through us. Here's what it says. We're his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. There's something, there's an expectation. We do not earn our salvation. We, we, don't, we don't get to a point where we're earning this salvation. It was, his, it was a gift given to us. It was something he extended to us and we just responded to it. But from that point on where he's doing a great work in our life where the spirit fruit is becoming mature in us to the point that he can use us, he's saying there is an implication that I want to use you for something. And what does he say? For good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Do you realize that there's an expectation that God has of you? And it is for you to do good works. Guess where I believe every bit of this stems? Me personally, I believe it all stems from the spirit fruit. Peace, love, joy, goodness, self-control, the patience, all those things come with it. So the things Jesus reached out to us with needs to be demonstrated through our lives. Let me give you an example. Love, joy, and peace, I believe, are inward manifestations. These are things that he's ripening within us. 
When we have love in our heart, peace in our heart, and, and we have that whole idea of, of joy in our heart, it produces an outward manifestation, which I believe is the long-suffering, which we would call patience, but it's also the kindness. You see, the kindness originates and produ is produced through what Christ did on our behalf, but it's also produced through the whole idea that love, joy, and peace is an inward manifestation of who we are. It becomes a part of who we are. And the rest are the, are the outflow. Now, look on your outline. Now that we've experienced kindness, we need to express kindness. And so, the, here, look on your outline. We see the details. What does it look like? Now, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, tell me one chapter in the Bible that tells me what my life needs to look like, that tells me what, what I need to be about, I would, I would direct them to Romans chapter 12. It's very important. In the middle of that chapter, here's what we find that Paul tells us. Here's the details of kindness. Romans 12, 10, look here. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Y'all, this is the extension. This is the details of kindness, the brotherly love, the reaching out. So we not only have the details, look on your outline. I want you to see the demonstration of kindness. Kindness cannot be seen unless it's demonstrated. It has to be demonstrated for it to be seen. That's what Christ did on our behalf. He demonstrated it, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He made a, a way of preparation for us to come to him. Now, there are three people in Scripture that I believe demonstrate kindness. The first one, look on your outline, is Joseph of the Old Testament. Now, it's very interesting that we mentioned Joseph last week when we were talking about long-suffering. But now we're getting ready to mention him again in the context of kindness. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Joseph. Did you know that one quarter or 25% of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, is dedicated to his story? How many of you find that amazing? You got all this talk about everything, how the world was created, how judgment came to mankind. You got the talk of Abraham. You got the talk of Isaac. You got all these patriarchs mentioned. But yet 25% of the book is dedicated to one man's story. Now, how many of you find that amazing? Now, think of this. The whole idea of the stars in the universe are only mentioned in one verse. Yet 25% of the book is dedicated to this guy. Now, here's what you'll find amazing. Did you know that Joseph is not in the Messianic lineage? He's not, he, he's not Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. It would make sense if he was because there would be so much dedicated to him, but he's not even in the Messianic lineage. So why? Why is 25% dedicated to him? Here's why. Here's, this is the reason I believe. Because he looks more like Christ than I believe any other Old Testament character in the Bible. He looks just like him. I mean, he was wronged. Yet he extended mercy. He was wronged and he extended grace. He was wronged and he, he was patient. He was wronged and he extended kindness. Turn to Genesis chapter 45. I want you to see his story. I want you to see it for yourself. It's pretty astounding when you look at it. Now, if anybody had a right to be unkind, it would have been Joseph. I mean, he was done wrong. His brothers sold him into slavery. We, we saw that last week. He was falsely accused by his boss's wife. Remember that whole story? As a result of that, he was placed in prison. Some commentators say he was placed in prison 10. Some people say as much as 14 years he was put in prison. And so he, his brothers who started all his heartache are now visiting him in Egypt needing his help. The reason they need help is because there's a famine in the land. Egypt has the only food supply. 
If they don't get the help, they're going to die. Okay? Uh, and, and so he's there. Now he's in front of his brothers, his brothers who sold him out, and the brothers don't recognize him. Look at Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now think about that. What did the brothers do? They sold him out. They started this long line of suffering that came to his life, the years of imprisonment. All that started with, took him from his family, a family that loved him dearly. All that was started by then. And then Joseph reveals himself and basically says, I'm the one you sold out. How, how many of you, if you were one of those brothers, I mean, you're talking to probably the second most powerful man in the world at this time. And, and he's standing there and he's calling them out. How many of you would be looking for the exits at that point? I would. I'd be looking around and saying, how can I get out of here if I need to get out of here? And I'm sure that had to cross their minds. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. It's actually their brother. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Now, if I were the brother, that's the last place I'd want to be. I've sold this guy out. I've created all this hostility in his life, all these things that came to him. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, how many of you would be even more nervous? Again, he's telling them what they, what he, they did to him. I mean, he's calling them out, basically. And then he says in verse five, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do you know what Joseph was doing? The ones who offended him great, the, one who set, the ones who set in motion the turmoil, the years of imprisonment, the hurt, every bit of that, he's basically looking at them and he's saying, I do not hold this against you. Now, how many of you at times have had the, what I call the how dare you mentality? You ever had that before where someone does you wrong and in your mind you're thinking, how dare you? This guy had every right to have that mentality from a, from a world point of view. But you know what? He extends grace to him. Can you imagine some of those brothers? I don't believe all of them did, but out of the 10 brothers, don't you think some of them second guessed themselves as far as what they did to Joseph? Don't, don't you, how many of you have ever messed up at some point in your life where you had to live with the guilt and the shame of what you did? I guarantee you, these, some of these brothers were living under all that, wondering what was going on. How would this shake out? And, and living there, and basically now there's this brother standing in front of them saying it was God who orchestrated this. Verse six, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be no, uh, neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now think of that, y'all. When you look back and you see that Joseph in this context was weeping, that he was crying, that he couldn't restrain himself anymore. A lot of people, when they read this story, think 
that he he he's re, that now he's going to reach out to his brothers. He thinks uh, they think that that he's going to make himself known. That he's finally going to hear about his father, and he's weeping over there. I think it was more than that. I think possibly for the first time, Joseph saw the big picture. For the first time, he realized why he had to go through all the suffering he went through, why he was falsely accused, why he was sold out by those brothers. He came to terms with the whole big picture and the fact that God wanted to protect his people. And of course, his people were his people. And so he saw that. And I believe for the first time, it started, he started seeing the big picture. Verse seven, I mean, verse eight. So now what? So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. I know you think you, and you did. You, you're sitting there saying, I did a terrible thing. How can I forgive myself? But here's what you need to understand God was orchestrating the events of my life. It's no longer me holding against you something that you did to me. I realize it was God. Let me tell you this about kindness. You will never be kind until you back out of the situation you're dealing with and realize that it is God orchestrating your life. When you, you will only show kindness when you see the big picture. You see, Joseph, I'm convinced, could not have shown kindness unless he saw that God was working on his behalf, even though he was mistreated. And you see it so clearly here, how that played out. So Joseph's kindness was motivated by Joseph seeing the big picture. As I said, we can never demonstrate kindness through our life, nor will we ever see the big picture of our life if we have the how dare you mentality. So here's, here's, here's what I mean. If you're going through life and everyone who's ever wronged you, you look at them and you say, how dare you? There's a great chance you're going to totally miss the purpose of what God's doing in and through your life. There's a great chance of that. You got to see it from a bigger perspective. Another demonstration of kindness is seen through the, life, uh, through the life of King David. King David was one in which you see this. Now, now think of King David's story. How many of you realize that Saul was the first king of Israel, Saul of the Old Testament, first king of Israel? Uh, all of a sudden, uh, God has basically put him on the shelf, said he's raised up a new king, the new king will be King David. So therefore, King Saul starts going after King David, threats to kill him, Basically, he wants him dead because he's a threat to the, to the throne. And so David spends many years running for his life. And, and what's interesting about that, we come to these verses in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now David said, after being declared king over all Israel, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, the one who's offended him, that I may show him kindness for, for Jonathan's sake? You see, Saul and Jonathan are dead at this time. And so basically, David is crying out. And he's saying, hey, is there someone in the family that I can show kindness? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when our bitterness and, and, and the wrong that people do and the how dare you mentality not only goes to one person, sometimes it covers whole families. But that wasn't King David. Look at what he says in verse three of chapter nine. Is there still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show that I may demonstrate the kindness of God? Wow. Reaching beyond himself, reaching beyond his how dare you mentality. You see, kindness here carries the idea of a flow of affection that he wanted to bestow on the descendants of Saul, the very one who wanted him dead, that chased him like an animal. Look on your outline. The greatest demonstration of kindness, of course, is seen in Jesus. In Jesus. 
There's nothing greater. We've already seen that. We see it all in the Gospels. How about how Jesus dealt with kindness? Do you, if you read the context of the woman at the well, you remember the story? Do you realize that she was, in some ways, she was rude to Jesus? She didn't provide good service. But you know what Jesus extended to her? Kindness. Kindness. How about when the children wanted to come and get around Jesus? The disciples were standing there and basically they were frustrated with the children and they tried to remove the children. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. No, 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 leave me alone. He showed kindness to the children. How about the thief on the cross? I mean, Jesus, if he had a how dare you mentality or he had that whole mentality that it was about him and woe is me and the pity party on the cross and all that, but what did he do? What did he do? He turned to the thief who was next to him and said, to this day, where, where shall you be? You shall be with me in paradise. Still extending kindness to someone even at his death. You see, Jesus demonstrated kindness. Jesus was never too busy to be kind. Now, let me say this. Have you noticed that kindness is not a problem when things go well? Let me prove it to you. How many of you are hoping to take a vacation this summer? Anybody planning to take a vacation? Most of you in the room. Have you ever been around people getting ready to go on vacation? They are happy people. I'm serious. If you want something from someone, wait until a couple days before they go on vacation. You can get a lot of stuff from people, okay? No, I've never done that, by the way. But anyway... I'm serious. People, they take on a whole different persona. It's like they feel the relief coming to, for the vacation and the stress. And they're, I mean, they'll be kind to you. They'll do things for you. It's amazing what things do. But what happens when things go really bad? Are you still kind? Some of us, the way we respond to people depends on what's happening within us. Are we in a good mood? Are we doing certain things to, I mean, let's just face it. But do you demonstrate kindness even in troubling situations? You see, that's what gets the world's attention. Anybody can deal, can, can give kindness just before they go on vacation, just before all these wonderful things are to happen to them. But what about when it's troubling? Next, not only the demonstration, not only do we see the demonstration, but also the demand for, for kindness. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Do you know what the opposite of tenderhearted is? Hardhearted. You ever been hardhearted? If you have a hard heart, you're not gonna, be, you're not gonna extend kindness to anyone. So it's so a prerequisite to be, kind, to be kind to one another. You gotta be tenderhearted. Here's another one, forgiving one another. You can't hold things against people and be kind to them. You can't do that. We saw that with Joseph's story. And then he says, and he really brings the conviction when he says, even as God in Christ forgave you. You be kind because God extended kindness to you through his son. Not only that, he was tenderhearted towards you. You were an enemy. You were an offense to God, but he wasn't hardhearted towards you. He was tenderhearted. Not only that, he forgave you. And it all began because he was kind towards us. When God commanded from his word that we are to be kind, he is commanding us to take on his character, become more like him. Listen to the statement. An unkind Christian is a contradiction in terms. And y'all, that is so true. Now, this is not on your outline, but I want to show you something. Scientifically, kindness has benefits. Did you know that? Scientifically, this is not on your outline. This is something I came across. First of all, 
Kindness inspires others to be kind. How many of you ever noticed that? How many of you heard that whole idea, pay it forward? Uh, That whole idea? Someone does something kind to you. You know what? what? Many times that gets our attention and it inspires us to want to extend kindness also. So so there's some benefits. Also, did you know that kindness relieves stress? It's proven. They've proved it. It does. Kindness also fights depression. Did you know that? You know why? Because to be kind, guess what you have to do? You got to look beyond yourself. Many times when we get depressed, we close in on ourselves. We, we, everything becomes more about how things are affecting us, not what we can do. And so there's times, and this is one thing I've learned about my life. When I'm fighting depression, and by the way, I, I fight it. I, I really do. I, I'm not clinically depressed, but I do fight depression. I think many of you do. Do you know that I've lived long enough to realize that if I'll just reach beyond myself, I can turn some of my depression around? If I start making investments in other people, when I extend kindness to someone beyond myself, it's possible. Scientifically, kindness also, this is really cool, builds a platform of communication into another person's life. If you want to speak something into someone's life, do an act of kindness. It it gives you a platform. That's the reason I think the kindness that we as Christians need to extend is a little different than what the world does. Because when we extend kindness, you know what we can do? We can bring about the story of the gospel in the midst of that. We can reach out. It's almost like we're building the grounds to be heard when we do acts of kindness. And it's very powerful. Next, we are to be express kindness in our world. There is not much kindness in the world. Matter of fact, we live in a world where it's characterized by rude, harsh, and crude behavior. I mean, let's face it. That's what we're seeing. That's what we see with the terrorist attacks. That's what we're seeing in some of the big cities right now. All this, all this rudeness and harshness and, and, and crudeness. For many in our society, kindness is thought to be weakness. Simply put, kindness is needed in our society because it has the potential to heal and restore Kindness can open a door for a positive witness for Christ when all other doors may be closed. Next, we express kindness not only in our world, but also in our church. We need to learn to be kind to one another. Did you know there's a lot of fighting done in some churches? Did you know that? Did you know a lot of times it happens in meetings, committee meetings many times? You know, you know where it stems from? From people who disagree. You ever been in a meeting where people disagree? Is there a whole lot of kindness going around in there? No, not normally. That's not normally what comes out. Kindness can ease the pressure of a tense moment. Do you realize that you can disagree? Listen, you can disagree and be kind. Did you know I've met people who are that way? I'm serious. There's people, I mean, in my own immaturity, I've I've done this before where I, I I was not kind in a disagreement. And you realize I've run up on people over the years who were kind in disagreement. And do you know that it disarms every, everything that you feel when they act that way? That's the reason I believe that even in churches, that the church basically says its leadership needs to be mature. You know what I think it needs to be? It needs to be ripened in the fruit of the Spirit. Because we've got to learn how to... There's times we're going to disagree. And we've got to learn how to do it in a kind way. Next... We are to express kindness in our home, in our home. Do you realize that kindness can open doors to our spouse, to our children, even to our parents? Do you know that the Bible says in Ephesians that it tells the fathers not to provoke their children? We're not to provoke them. We're, we are to have a tender heart towards them, 
to have a kind heart towards them. Theologian Stuart Briscoe wrote in his book, Spirit Life, here's what he said. There is something classy about kindness. How many of you agree with that? It is. There's something classy about it. There is something classy about kindness. When I think of the charming people I know, it is surprising how often I find that the chief of the qualities that make them so is that they are kind. Mark Twain, you ever heard of Mark Twain? Boy, he says something very enlightful. He said this, kindness takes us off the judgment seat and puts us on the mercy seat. He went on to say, kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can read. And boy, that is so true. Next, we need to be about embracing kindness. We need to embrace it. There's two things I want you to see on your outline. There's a character trait. Look there on your outline, a character trait. The Greek word for kindness is krestos, krestos. But when it comes to kindness, it it almost looks like a person. So you have a, a, a character trait, but then you have a person. The Greek word for Christ is Christos. So for the, the Greek word for, for kindness is krestos, but for, for Christ, for Jesus, it's Christos. So similar are the words, listen to this, that the early church of the Christian faith, the early years of the Christian faith, pagans confused these words for kindness in Christ. They could not decide if Christianity was a religion based on someone named Christos, Christ, or a religion based on krestos, which is kindness. That's not a bad way to confuse it, is, is it? But so listen, someone has rightly said, the kingdom of God would grow rapidly if we would just proclaim one with our lips, that being Christ, and demonstrate the other with our lives, that being kindness. So really, when you think about it, when we're going to embrace the whole idea of kindness, we need to embrace a character trait that needs to be found in us, which I would say is a spirit fruit, And we need to also embrace the person of Jesus Christ. Kindness is not a normal trait to the human responsibility or human personality. It is the outflow of love, joy, peace, and long-suffering in our lives. And kindness is a product of the Holy Spirit. So here's the application. Jesus never asked us to be anything that he was not. When you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus was kind. Now, was he firm with with some of the religious people? Very firm when he had to be. But you know something? When you read the Gospels, you see how firm he is with the religious. But let me tell you one thing. There's one thing that you see that stands out is the fact that he was kind. He was kind to people. So here's the question. Are you a kind person? You may be sitting here today and you say, yeah, I think I'm pretty kind. Well, the real question is this. Do others think you're kind? Do others think you're kind? You see, when it's all said and done, kindness is a spirit fruit that needs to be ripened in our lives. Ripened in our lives. I want to close with this story. One day a little boy was coming home from the store. Obviously the story is many years old. He was coming home from the store carrying a bucket of honey. As he walked, he dipped his finger in the honey to taste it. A man watched the boy and chuckled. He said, son, what's in the bucket? Honey, the boy replied. Is it sweet, asked the man. It sure is, the boy smiled. How sweet, asked the man. Very sweet, replied the boy. How sweet is very sweet, the man asked. Very, very sweet, said the boy. It's so sweet. If it's so sweet, the man asked, why can't you tell me how sweet it is? In exasperation, the boy finally held the bucket of honey out and said, here, mister, taste and see for yourself. 
here's what we need to understand. When it comes to the kindness that we see, this is the Lord's invitation to every person to come and experience his kindness. You see, we can talk about it all we want to, but until it's demonstrated, before it's tasted by someone directly, we never really know what it really offers. But the kindness of God can be extended to many people's lives. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Be kind. Be kind to people. For, for many of the people, and think of this, there's a lot of people we can't talk to about our faith. There's a lot of people who don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And, and for those, you know what we need to do? We need to prepare a path. We need to learn to be kind. And, and, and hopefully use that to reach into their lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. And Father, I just pray for each of us here in this room. Father, sometimes it's so easy to be kind to, to those outside our homes. And, and sometimes we mistreat the very people that we love the most because we don't know how to demonstrate this thing called kindness. But Father, help us as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as mothers, as, as children, that as it relates to our homes, that our homes will be defined by the kindness that we have for one another. When it comes to our church family, that it will be known for the kindness that we have. When it comes to our very lives, the essence of who we are, that when other people look in, that they see a person who is kind. Father, I thank you for Jesus who, who lived in this world, who, who, who lived a life of kindness as he reached out to those that he sought to save. Father, I thank you that, that, that you not only have demonstrated that through your son, but Father, you offered it to us personally. And Father, I thank you that for those here today who have experienced the kindness of God, they tasted for themselves and, and saw that you were good, that you were kind, that you reached out to us when we were an offense to you. Father, I pray for that person that may be here today that they've never reached out to you. I pray today will be the day that they do that. Father, for that Christian that may be in this, in this room and, and maybe they can't truly say that others would say that they're kind. Father, I pray that as we go about this afternoon, start our week into this new week, that maybe each day we could wake up with that whole idea of the fact that you want these spiritual fruit, these spirit fruit to be evident and demonstrated through our lives. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, and the kindness. Father, we thank you for what you desire to do in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. Myself and Gary will be here at the front. We just ask you to do what God...